Now you've already missed it. So you can see regardless. I mean, the church in Ephesus was a solid church. Three years the Apostle Paul was there. But go in 90 AD, go read what had happened. They were holding the false teachers to account. They had discernment over doctrine. And yet they had lost their first love. Okay, so it happens to us. And if you think you are immune to it, you're probably in greater danger. Because it has been going on through church history. Go look at the birth of what you call the Catholic Church. The word Catholic means universal. Okay, well technically, ain't that us? I mean, right? Okay, but we don't get into the sacraments. We, we don't do all of the, you know, Hail Mary full of grace and all that other stuff. All right? Because the letter of Hebrews was written. All right? And, and I don't live in the shadows anymore. I also believe that if you have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you, then you have the author of Scripture in you. That you have no need for anyone to teach you. All right. I remember flying. I was going on my way to London and, and I had a lady sitting next to me and, and, and she asked me what I was doing. And I was going to be teaching in London and then I was going to go on and teach in Moscow. And she said, well, I got to ask you a question. And I said, what's that? She says, what the heck is the difference between a Protestant and a Catholic? And I said, well, it's very simple, actually. The Catholics believe that the church is the ultimate authority. The Protestants believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority. She says, why is it that every time I ask somebody that, they make it so complicated? Well, it's because I want you to think I'm smart. <laughs> if, if I make it complicated, then you think I'm smart. Okay? But it's, that's really the difference. But if you look at the birth of the Catholic Church, it wasn't until man started saying, you know what? I don't think you guys are smart enough to know what the Bible says. So I'll make you a deal. You keep coming. I'll sit down here and I'll show you what it says. All right? I'll take care of you. All right? Then you start getting, uh, being able to add on sainthood to people. I can atone. If I live a really good life and I, I get too much righteousness, I can leave my righteousness to my goofy uncle. Okay? And, and things like that. You start, it starts becoming extraordinarily convenient. I heard that the Pope a couple of weeks ago says there's nothing wrong with believing that God created through evolution. And, and I want to call him up. Hey, have you not read? <laughs> okay, because somewhere in there, you're getting people and animals dying before their sin and Nothing personal, but you got a problem. <laughs> All right, but you see what I'm trying to get at? Because if you look at the essence of where it started, that's a first century church. Okay, and I've read some of those guys. Some of them guys was, I'm not sure, they were circling the planet. But they had it figured out. And yet, sometimes we allow, I guess you want to call it customs or ceremony, to take precedence over what we're actually doing. The Apostle Paul here breaks this up, and I, want, I will be looking at it over the weeks. I want to spend some more time on humility 
because the mark of a true is that he's a humble servant. He is a servant of truth and he serves in love. Okay, the mark of a false is that he is a prideful servant. He is a deceptive servant and he tends to be abusive. Okay, and we'll be looking at it. We started on humility last week. Verse seven there. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Now think about that for a second. In spite of what the Apostle Paul had already written and had already told them why he didn't take the money, all of a sudden now in their society, in their culture, you're telling me that it's a sin if I don't take money from you. Okay, brothers and sisters, you see it a lot today. I remember uh, a a guy had contacted me and wanted to do a week-long Bible study for the church. This was when we were downtown. I thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool. And so, you know, it'd be set up. His wife would take the women. He would take the men. We'd make it work out this way. And so we were kind of working out the details and when we were going to do it. And then he told me how much he wanted, that he had to come into Centennial in a private jet. And, and it went on and on and on. And I was like, I don't think so, dude. Okay. You know, I flew in a private jet once from Stapleton to Utah. It was a Learjet, really nice thing, but it was used by Emory Air Freight to haul cargo and they needed somebody to run a forklift over in Salt Lake City. And it had a little jump seat behind the, the wall of the cabin uh, of the cockpit. And I kind of stuck around and hung my head around this way and listened to the rattle of this jet as we flew over the Rocky Mountains. And I wasn't that impressed. Okay. But they paid me to fly in that. (laughs) Okay. But see, it's stuff like this that I said and I I look at it and I think, you've got to be kidding me, people. Let me take you back because the Apostle Paul dealt with this. It's it's one of them things that when I I think about it, we, we at times, we forget. Don't we? Chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians beginning at verse 3. Okay, he gives you the context um, in verses 1 and 2. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the work of my, uh, my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Okay, so you see what he's going to argue. Am I who I say I am? Look what he says. My defense to those who examine me in this. All right. Do I have a right to eat and drink? Got a little more of that uh, theological sarcasm. eh? (laughs) Do we not have a right to take on take along a believing wife? Even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? Okay, so you see what he's coming up with. All right. I'm the only one who's not allowed to be paid for this. I'm not. I don't have the right to have food, drink, lodging. Just me and Barnabas. All right, look what he says. Who at any time serves? Now, he gives you the illustration. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? 
Right? I mean, it's, it's common sense. Look what he says. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Who, or who tends the flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Okay, so he gives three illustrations right there that is just common sense. I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law say these things? Okay, so he gives you, here's the temporal picture that you see around you everywhere you go. But now let me give you the eternal picture. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about the oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake, it was written. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope that the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. All right. So he's already kind of laid this out for the Corinthians. He's told them why he doesn't take the money. It wasn't that he didn't put a value on his teaching. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? And he deals with his support. Do I not have the right to take a believing wife as Cephas? Cephas would be Peter. Do I not get to eat? Look at the time that the Apostle Paul gave to the ministry. Now, I want to keep some things really square with you. Okay, he's an apostle with a capital A. Okay, you know why I say that? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, now I love you guys, but I haven't seen him. Okay, yet what I do is that as an apostle, I am a messenger. All right, but I have not seen the resurrected Christ. Those who had seen the resurrected Christ, those apostles, definite article, capital A, those were the foundation apostles. Right? They were going to places where Christ had never been named. And they had been sent out by the resurrected Christ. All right? If a person takes the title apostle today, the first thing I want to ask him is, when did you see the resurrected Christ? Because if he says, I haven't ever, then you are no different than I am. Or any child of God who is sharing the gospel message. Okay? He illustrates it here in this text in 9. Between the people, that would be the common people that you would see every day, and scripture. And he says, but isn't that for us? Aren't we supposed to, as ministers of the gospel, be sustained by our work? Okay, drop down there to verse 11. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Is that too much to ask? 
Isn't that the normal way of life? You see it in life around you, but you also see it in the law of Moses. Look at verse 12. If others share the right over you, okay, to be paid, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endured all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Tells you why he didn't take the money. Why? I don't want to be a hindrance to the message. I did not use the right. I have the right. Around you, society says I have the right. The scriptures say I have the right. But I did not use that right because I wanted no hindrance to the gospel. So he didn't use it. He did not exercise it. He, he suffered whatever... Had, was to come because he didn't want to bring a hindrance to the gospel. Paul believed that when he went to a new place to lay a foundation of a church, and if he charged the people for his preaching, it could be a hindrance. Boy, I'd give anything if people would practice this today. So he didn't take any money from him. Not only in Corinth, but it was the pattern and the model that he was wherever he went. Verse 13. Do you not know those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those to proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Now, I want to show you verse 15. But I have used none of these things. And I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. He's not trying to manipulate the Corinthians into giving him some cash. For it would be better for me to die. Now, read what the apostle saying. It would be better for me, better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. Okay? His boast would be in the gospel. He didn't charge for preaching. And there's a bunch of reasons. I mean, I can give you three. He didn't want to be compared to the false. See, the false are in it for the money. And everyone that was a quote-unquote professional... Put fees on themselves. This is what I charge. And he did not want to be identified with a long line of professional speakers, what I call salesmen. I don't want to be identified. I want, he, he, by not taking any money, then guess what? There's absolutely no question of his motive. No question of his motive. You see it in Acts 20, what he did in Ephesus. He did not charge. You see it in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. He did not charge. All of these occasions, he worked with his own hands and he earned his own way. The reason? To sh you know, one, I don't want to be identified with the professionals. Two, 
I want to show how a Christian should work. The work ethic of a Christian. I know in Russia, at the fall of communism, the socialism, all of a sudden you went from a guaranteed job to I needed production. And they were looking for Christians. They wanted to hire Christians. You know why? Christians did everything as unto the Lord. And you got 70 years of, I don't have to do nothing, and I just go in and get my paycheck. You've killed the motivation. And so there's no productivity. That's one of the biggest reasons that socialism collapsed. It didn't make nothing. And there was no incentive to make anything. And they started finding these Christians, and these Christians were working whether they were watched or not watched. Huh, I wonder where they got that idea at. And the Apostle Paul didn't take money because he wanted to show the Christians in the communities that he was laying a foundation of a church and evangelizing. This is the work ethic of a child of God. These infant churches, he would be busy about planning the foundation and evangelizing, drawing more people, raising up leaders from within side. Secondly, he didn't want to hinder the gospel. Why? How many people do you see today are in it for the money? I have never seen anything like it. I've never seen any time like it. Now, I'll be honest with you. It's more in our four borders than it is anywhere. Okay? But because you go out out of here and, and you get in, you know, where I, the countries that I've been in, there ain't no money in it. Okay? And I don't care how good you are. Okay, if the country ain't got no money, you ain't got no money. Okay, so there was no question for his motives. And yet he was not doing it on the social process that what they called the pros that would charge. At the same time, you give believers this pattern for work. Okay, you see how hard a Christian Works. I guess to, to, to use today's vernacular, the Christian work ethic. You know, I have seen Christians in the past that think that their job is where they're supposed to evangelize. They don't do nothing but talk. Okay, and nothing personal. That's shameful. Because I hate to break the news to you. If you work for an employer, he owns you for that slot of time. Okay, and you may not like it, but you know what? Go get another job. And the Christian work ethic says, my master, my boss has got me for X number of hours and he will get out of me for that X number of hours. All right. But the third thing is, is that the Apostle Paul didn't want to be a burden to anyone. He didn't want to be a burden to anyone. Go back to your text, 2 Corinthians 11, 7. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? See, that's humility. I humbled myself to raise you up. Okay, is that a sin? Is it a sin to break the cultural pattern? 
the societal norms, is that a sin? Not following the social critique, is that a sin? You know, I look at so many churches today and what is being touted, and it is nothing but a business model. That's all it is. Here's what society says is successful. See, a teacher's worth is what he decides his fee is. And you know what? The Corinthians had bought this. You know, we got great speakers. And Paul says, you know where I didn't take any money. I worked there among you for two years. He was a leather maker. He made tents out of it. In Acts 18.3, he says it. He worked with leathers. And you will see somebody else that worked with him. Aquilus worked with leather. And he paid his own way as a minister. Let me take you back. Letter of Acts, chapter 20, verse 34. Let's start with verse 33. I have coveted no one's silver or gold. Okay. This is the church in Ephesus. You yourselves know that with these hands ministered my own needs. Now listen, what's he doing? He's working with leather. Okay. Works with my own hands to meet my own needs and to the men who were with me. You know what that tells me? He was pretty good at it. He could make a buck. And he was making enough to pay for the needs of those who were with him. These hands I ministered to my own needs. These hands I ministered to my own needs and those men who were with me. He was good at his trade. He could make a good living. For those who traveled with him, he was... They weren't a burden. That group was not a burden on these infant churches. He showed himself different than the speakers who were professional. And those who were in it for the money. Those that we would call professional motivators. Those that we would call professional salesmen. But he was no hindrance to the gospel. And you know what? No one could question his motives. It was clear he wasn't in the ministry for the money. Okay? Preaching the gospel is not a vocation. It is a privilege. Whether you get a nickel for it or not. He held himself in the place of a common worker. He labored with his hands. He would rather do that than charge a fee for the preaching of the gospel. You know why? Can the enemy accuse him of being in it for the money? And yet, you know what? I've had people who will tell me they're not in Castle Rock planning a church for the money. And then out of the same side of their mouth, they'll say, we did a study and... There's enough money in the community to afford another church. Wait a minute. And I ask them all the same thing every time. When the church that sent you quits paying you, will you stay? 
Because that's when it gets a little tough. That's when it gets a little tough. But if you look at Apostle Paul's model, look at his. He never took money from a founding church. Now listen, he got gifts, and we'll look at this next week. He got gifts from churches that were established. They loved being a part of the Apostle Paul's ministry. But he wouldn't do it from the infant church because he's trying to raise up leaders from inside that church. And he's wanting to make sure that nobody on the outside looking in can say, well, the Apostle Paul came in here for the money. They can't say that he had selfish motives. They can't say that he was like the false. And you know what? This was Paul was glad to support himself and the way that he did it throughout his entire money. He would take money from the churches that had been established, were founded, and had leaders in place. But those that didn't, he wouldn't. He received money from... He received from the Macedonians. That's what the text says. Well, who would that be? Philippi and Thessalonica, for sure. Okay? I don't know about Berea. But I do know that from Thessalonica, because you know how I know? When he was in Corinth, he wrote the first two letters of the New Testament. You know what the first two letters of the New Testament are? First and second Thessalonians. He wrote back to them because he was concerned. They were under persecution. That's what he wrote first, the first two letters. People go to where Christ is not named and they are supported from a home church that sent him. Oh, hey. Well, that sounds like Orel. Oh, wait. That sounds like Punjab, India. Oh, wait. Isn't Myanmar that way? Huh. Kind of weird, don't you think? It still works. It's awesome. So you can take a group of dedicated people who love the Lord and what the Lord is doing and they can invest in a national where he's laboring, where there is no church name. Christ has never been named. I walked around places in Russia and you would say Jesus Christ. They had no idea what you were talking about. Had never heard the name That's outstanding. Listen, that is a solid pattern. But also it is a safe pattern. No one can question your motives. All right. And no one can question the integrity of the message that you're delivering. The Apostle's second missionary journey, about 52 A.D., that's when he strolled into Corinth. He'd just come out of Macedonia, and he had worked with Aquila in the working of leather. So he was, you know what is amazing about this? He's working with his hands. And I, I, I rejoice in this, because he was free to preach unadulterated truth of the gospel and he never had to have money. He never had to dial back his message for the sake of an income. All right? Well, he said that I was living in sin. I'm leaving. 
I'll show him he can go hungry. But if he's already working on his own, you don't have to dial it back. I know people right now who have put their congregations in such massive debts that they have to be careful that they don't offend the congregation. Or they can't pay their debt. I know a church that their weekly offering, it took six grand to pay the interest on their mortgage. Weekly. Kind of got your hands tied. What do you have to do with your message to make it palatable? If you go over to Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three, verses eight and nine. Second Thessalonians chapter three, eight and nine. Nor did we eat anyone's bread. Now, remember, he now writing this letter, he's sitting in Corinth. Okay, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Nor because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model to you so that you would follow our examples. You know what he says next? For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone's not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Interesting concept, don't you think? These are the first churches that he wrote to. And he was reminding them that he's doing the same thing in Corinth. He reminded the Corinthians he's doing the same thing in Ephesus. And on and on and on it went. Three years he lived in Ephesus, preaching, working day and night, preaching, teaching, raising up leaders in the church in Ephesus so he would not be a burden, nor would his message be hindered. And he showed a work ethic. You know, I always had trouble with the little fat... Baptist preachers. It kind of bothers me. Okay? It seems like that maybe they should get up and walk a little more. Okay? Maybe they should pace around their desk. Okay? Because that just bothers me. Why? What are you saying to your people? Okay? That's hard. It's hard. And, and you know what? I, I know how it is. I, I sit, you know, probably six and a half hours a day reading. It's difficult, but I get up and walk because I usually I have a, an issue of keeping my butt in a chair. So there's every once in a while I've, people have walked in and I'm walking around in the church reading. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm exercising, trying not to hit a wall. Back to your text. Fascinating statement that the Apostle makes. Chapter 11, verse 7. Oops. Here we go. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? The literal Greek phrase for exalted there is lifted up. 
Did I commit a sin of humbling myself so that you may be lifted up? Okay? What does that mean? What is he saying? I lifted you from darkness to light because of my humility. I, because of my humility, I lifted you from sin to righteousness. Because of my humility, I lifted you from hell to heaven. Because of my humility, I lifted you from Satan's dominion to God's dominion. Because of my humility, I have lifted you from death to life. Did I commit a sin humbling myself to lift you up that way? Was that sinful? I have the right to be paid. But I didn't because I wanted to show you a Christian work ethic. I wanted to show you that my motives were pure. Do you see that? Free preaching that has elevated you from damnation to glory. Was that sinful? Okay, again, the doctrine of sarcasm. Okay, because let's be realistic. That statement is a little on the foolish side, right? Because I humbled myself to exalt you. Is that a sin? Okay, I like that. And you know what? The Corinthians are all sitting there when Apollos probably is reading this. (laughs) Saying, we knew better. (laughs) We've been taken for a ride. Paul lived in a measure... For, for lack of a better terminology, a measure of material poverty. Okay? Because at the end of this letter, you know what he says? And you better think about this because it, it'll step on your toes. I have learned the secret of contentment, whether with much or with little. Why? Think about it. If you're a humble servant, it don't matter whether you've got a lot or a little. Right? Paul lived in a measure of this poverty. Why? So that his hearers could be rich. We've looked at this, chapter 8 of this letter, verse 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You know what Paul's saying? I'm following my master. I'm following my master. You know what? And i got to be honest with you. Paul was amazing. He could have been extraordinarily wealthy. He was not a dummy. Because he was born and raised in Tarsus... He got to go to college. There was three colleges in the world. One in, that's probably too many, but one in Rome, one in Tarsus, and one in Alexandria, uh, Egypt. All right? If you were a citizen of that city, you got free tuition. So you know he went there for a while. And then he went to seminary down in Jerusalem. His teacher was Gamali of the Pharisees. Okay? But it's obvious that he was a tradesman. Probably his father taught him how to be a tradesman to work with leather. Uh, some of your translations will say tent makers. Well, what was a tent made out of? Leather. Okay? 
So you, you can see where this guy could have made a good living. I mean, if he could make enough money, but the, make enough money to pay for those who are with him. But you also have to remember this. Those of us who have worked for ourselves know that it comes sometimes as feast and famine. There's sometimes you've got to work all the time and you're making all the money and then all of a sudden it all stops. Okay, and if you're smart, you put away some of your money. If not, you will learn it the next time. Okay, and that's what the Apostle Paul did. So he would have been, could have lived highly. He was highly trained. But he was also a good, skilled tradesman. Okay, and it's obvious he did very well at it because he made good money at it. Okay, and yet he put it all aside for the sake of the gospel. He was basically working daily for his food and his sustenance. He became poor that he might make his hearers rich. In doing so, he was just like his Lord. Because I've heard a lot of people try to tell me that Jesus was in poverty. No, he wasn't. Jesus was the middle class. Why? He's a tradesman. And I mean, if we look at our society today, the middle class is the trades. Right? And, you know, that's what Jesus did. Okay, but he left that for his father's work. When Paul doing this very same thing to leave what his trades could be or what his education could be, he was like his Lord. Listen, his life demonstrates his humility. And let me tell you something. That is the key sign of a true apostle. That is the key sign of the messenger of the Lord. And you can contrast that to the arrogance of the false. And arrogance, we've just gotten so used to the smell, we can't discern it anymore, but I can see it. Okay? Arrogance is seen. It should be a stench to us. But we get used to it. Alright? So remember, that's just verse 7. 8 and 9 deal with humility too. We'll get that next week. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and the contrast that he is to a lost and dying world. Father, I pray that we don't fall into this, nor do we become gullible to it. You give us discernment. And that, Father, humility is so rare that it is seen. And when it is seen, Lord, I just pray that we embrace it, we cherish it, and those humble servants that are around us, that we never take them for granted. And then, Father, we rejoice that God has placed them among us. Help us, Lord. Help us to be true to your word. Father, help us to be true to the love that you've pulled in our heart. And, Father, help us be true to the humble state that each of us is in because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Thank you, my Savior and my Lord. Amen.